I love how that hymn just taunts Satan right to his face. You can't do anything. You can take my life away from me. You still can't do anything uh, to end the kingdom of God. What great confidence we have in the Lord. And what great confidence we have in his word that one little word from God will fell the kingdom of darkness on that final day. Well, This morning we uh, continue and pick up the second to last leg of our race through the book of Hebrews. We've been going chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and these last two weeks we will reach the finish line in Hebrews chapter 13. So I would invite you to go ahead and turn there with me. Obviously, a book of 13 chapters has a lot of themes and a lot of commands and instructions for us, but I think if we were to pick one singular objective that the author of Hebrews wants us to do, the command he lays in front of us is this. Draw near. When we finish this book, we should have the confidence to draw near to God. That's what the author of Hebrews is seeking to accomplish. He wants us to have the confidence to step through that doorway into the presence of God that we can serve and worship our Heavenly Father in there and have eternal fellowship with Christ our brother forevermore. In chapter 10 we read, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. So we do draw near, and we enter in, and, and now here we are. We're living in the house of God. And Jesus is teaching us how to live in that house and how to serve our Heavenly Father as we are in God's house. And chapter 12 told us that once we're in God's house, the Heavenly Father behaves with us like a father with his children. And one of the things that is difficult for children to understand is that fathers have to discipline their kids. And the same is true for our Heavenly Father, but while our earthly fathers just do what seems best in the moment, they're trying their hardest, God, who is sovereign and supreme, is able to discipline us only for our good, only for our holiness, only for our salvation. And so what we're going to see this morning is just like any father would, our Heavenly Father exercises his discipline over his house and maintains order among his children in his house by establishing house rules. I would guess many of us grew up in households that at least had a couple of house rules. Maybe your dad made them up, maybe your mom. At our house, my kids hear the same thing every time after breakfast. Get dressed, make your bed, brush your teeth. <laughs> Here's some other examples of house rules. Maybe, maybe uh, it'll ring some bells for you. If you sleep on it, make it up. If you step on it, wipe it up. If you wear it, hang it up. If you drop it, pick it up. Or maybe you've got a sign hanging in your household that says something like, no fussing, no cussing. And no back talking. <laughs> or here's uh, some house rules that my in-laws would appreciate. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and cheer for the Steelers. 
Well, this is exactly what's taking place in Hebrews chapter 13. The Heavenly Father is establishing house rules for His children to live together and dwell together in His house. God is saying, this is how my family lives. This is who we are. This is how you love one another, and this is the kind of household we are going to be. So if you found Hebrews 13, why don't we stand together as we read the house rules beginning in verse 1. Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat, for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I would encourage you to take Hebrews 13 home with you this week, this afternoon, and spend some time in deeper meditation on several of these house rules because we don't have enough time to do that this morning. However, as we survey this list as a whole, there are three things that we can recognize are immediately evident about this list, and they're this. Number one, the Father makes the rules, not us. The Father makes the rules. Not us. Secondly, the Father makes the rules for our good. And then thirdly, the Father's rules aim at the heart. So let's look at each of these for a few moments. Number one, the Father makes the rules, not us. In human households, this just makes sense. Of course the children don't make the rules. 
that parents do. There's a reason for that. Can you imagine if the children made the house rules? In fact, I asked my kids this this morning. If you could make up one rule, if you were in charge, what would it be? Griffin says, my rule would be, no one can stop me from catching the bunny outside. <laughs> we have this bunny, Coco, who's been visiting our house every afternoon, and he has been trying to catch that thing. Fletcher says, you can't wear sports clothes every day which is actually a pointed uh, rule at his older brother. Teddy says, I never have to clean my room except when people come over. Caroline's rule is don't say mean things to other people. You see, when children make the rules, they often become oddly specific, pointed at other people, and self-serving. The same thing happens in churches, doesn't it? When the children of God think that they make up the rules for God's house, those rules become oddly specific, pointed at others, and ultimately self-serving. Which is why when we come into God's house, you and I don't get to make the rules. We receive them from our Heavenly Father. House rules are one of the ways that he exercises the discipline that we read about last week in chapter 12, over his children. Brothers and sisters, if our Heavenly Father does not rule in his own house, then where does he rule? If God does not rule in the house that is called by his name, then he rules nowhere. If there's one place we should find humble men and women, old and young, black and white, falling on their face in utter surrender and submission to the rule and the will of God the Father through Jesus Christ, it ought to be the local church. If we cannot manage to submit to his rule, we who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, how can we expect the kingdoms of this world to? If we will not bow the knee to him today in church, how can we really believe that on one day every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow before him? But I don't want to love my brothers. Well, that's fine, the father says. There's the door. <laughs> my house is going to be filled with brotherly love, and if you don't want to do that, you can see yourself out. But I don't like God telling me who I can and can't sleep with. That's fine, but don't pretend that you're living in God's house anymore. I don't want to welcome refugees or strangers or people who are a different color than me into my church. That's fine, but you can't live in God's house anymore. God makes the rules about who gets to come in the front door of his house, not you. And he makes it plain. There's a sign over the doorway that says, we show hospitality to strangers. I don't want to submit to the pastors in my church. That's fine, but the Father says, you can't live here. Don't get mad at the people in the house of God. You can get mad at your Heavenly Father because He's the one who makes the rules. In God's house, we do what He says. This is the thing. True believers receive these commandments, and they say... I have concrete ways now to show God, my Father, how much I love him. I can obey these 
and I can show him the love that's just bubbling out of my heart and longing to be demonstrated to him. And we recognize that in these rules, the Father has poured his, house, his heart out to us. The Father wants us to be like him. His nature is woven into these instructions. He's saying, this is how I have loved you, and I'm giving you these rules so that you can now love like I love. We hear house rules, and we think house rules. Ugh, I hate rules. Who are we? We sound like a bunch of teenagers. We should think house rules. Amazing. I am a member of the household of God. God, I get to call my father. I'm his, and he cares about me, and he has given me these commandments because I believe my heavenly father is looking out for my good. He wants me to be just like him so that I can share in his holiness forever. Which brings us to our second point. Uh, not only has the Father made these rules, but the Father makes his rules for our good. These rules are for our good. It's clear throughout these 17 verses that God actually cares about what is best for us. He wants good in our lives, not evil. Salvation, not judgment. And these rules are laid down for that express purpose. He's making these rules so that good things will sprout up in our lives and in our person. In verse 4 we read, Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. This rule is for our good. God doesn't want to have to judge us. He's telling us beforehand. Do this, not that, because judgment is going to come upon people who do this thing. Or look at verse 9. Do not be led astray by various and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food. This is what's motivating God in making these house rules. What is good for their hearts? Don't be led astray by false teachings. It's not good for you. It's not going to benefit you. I remember being at Unique Fitness here in downtown Newberry a couple years ago, and I was doing shoulder shrugs. You know, you hold big heavy weights and you do this, okay? And uh, Shannon, the manager, who is this super stacked buff guy, uh, comes up to me and he says, you're not really doing shoulder shrugs the right way. That's not actually good for you. It's not going to benefit your shoulders because I was rolling through the motion. And he was telling me that'll actually put strain on your rotator cuffs and possibly cause a tear in your shoulder. He was preventing me from hurting myself. And that's what God is doing here. He's looking out for our good. He's saying, these things are not going to be good or beneficial. In fact, they're going to hurt you and they're going to hurt others. So don't do these things. He's looking out for our good. When I see one of my algebra students at the whiteboard, and I can tell that they're plunging forward in a direction that is not going to find the answer. Sometimes I let them struggle for a little while. But usually, at some point, I'll step in and say, listen, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to be a good path. Why don't you take a few steps back and start over. The Father's house rules show us that God is looking out for our good. Don't go down that pathway. It's not going to end well for you. Look at verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. There it is again. God cares about what is to your advantage. <laughs> He's seeking your good. 
This is the fundamental question that humanity has been wrestling with since the Garden of Eden. Can I trust that God's rules are actually in place for my good? God says, eat of all the trees except one. Don't eat of that tree because when you do, you will surely die. The strife against one another and the sin and disobedience against God in our lives can all be traced back to the fact that we do not believe verse 6 is true. The Lord is my helper. He is here in my life to seek my good. And any counsel or command that he would give me is only for my benefit and to my advantage. Is the creator God who made me really my helper? Or do I think my heavenly father is going to abandon me? Will there come a time when the father will forsake his children? Is it true? Does the Lord really have my good in mind at all times? Because if my heavenly father is looking after my good, guess what? I don't have to. I can look after my brother's good or the good of a stranger or the good of those in prison or the good of those who are being persecuted or the good of my spouse. The fact that I know the father will accomplish my good frees me to seek the good of everyone else except for myself. Your good is guaranteed. My good is guaranteed. So let us stop trying to protect it. Stop trying to guard it. Let's let go of that preoccupation and let these house rules guide us into seeking the good of others instead of ourselves. Just like your Heavenly Father has done for you in the person of Jesus Christ and will do for you forever. So we can confidently say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? We're not afraid. The Lord is my helper. The Lord has my best interest at heart. What can man or any other power out there do to me? I will not fear. His rules are seeking all kinds of good. We could just go through and catalog these quickly. His rules are seeking the good of the stranger, the prisoner, the persecuted in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to the strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Verse 3. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in body. You know, God is even looking out for your good. Everyone here today is able to attend church, but there may come a day when you won't be able to. And God is telling your brothers and sisters that on that day, you may not be chained in a prison, but you may be attached to some monitors in a hospital or in a nursing home. You can know that God is looking out for your good. He's telling your brothers and sisters, they need to come to you and seek your good and care for you there. His rules are seeking the good of our marriages in verse 4. Only idiots would think that defiling our marriages would be good for us. That somehow allowing sexual immorality or adultery into that relationship is somehow going to be beneficial for anyone involved. His rules are seeking the good of our faith. Verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider their outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So not only has God given us leaders in the church whose job it is to speak the word of God, to strengthen your faith, more than that, he is actually acting in the lives of those leaders to turn them into an object lesson so that you can grow in your faith. 
He's going to put your leaders into situations that require faith so that when you see them demonstrating faith, you have an example to follow. The cheap people in the church need to learn how to be humble. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to humble the leaders, and they can watch the leaders be humbled, and then they learn how to do it. The people in the church need to learn how to suffer well. Guess who gets to suffer in the eyes of everyone so that then they can learn how to suffer well? The people in the church need to learn how to lose well, how to succeed well, how to grow, how to fall, how to get back up. God is going to do all those things in the lives of their leaders so that then the people have a faith that they can imitate. His rules are for your good, for the good of your faith. And he reminds us in verse 8 that the object of our trust and our dependence has not changed, is not changing, and never will change. We do not worship an evolving or a learning Christ. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. Finally, his rules are for the good of the church. We've heard verse 17. Let's read it one last time. Obey your leaders. Submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have, will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for they, that would be of no advantage to you. This house rule is calling you to obey and submit to someone who is going to have to stand before the throne of God to give an account for your soul. On that day, God is going to ask the shepherds of the church, where's so-and-so? They wandered off and you didn't chase them. What's going on? This rule is for your good. And yet how many times are we offended when we feel the staff rub up against our fleece and direct us back toward the rest of the flock? How dare he? What advantage is it to a church to have shepherds that don't shepherd? And what good is it to the church if they do not obey and submit to the men who are supposed to be watching over their eternal souls? If a church knows that it needs pastors, wouldn't it be to everyone's advantage to try to make that job as easy as possible? It seems like a waste for a church to call and ordain men and even give their hard-earned money to support him in that ministry of the word and prayer but then have no intention of following him when he tries to lead. Father says that's it's not to your advantage. It's not to anyone's advantage. The best way to sabotage your own good and the good of the whole church is to not obey your leaders and submit to them, to make the job as insufferable and as hard as possible, to be obstinate, rude, slow of hearing, slow to change heart. And this is the final point this morning, the aim of these rules is your heart, your heart, the Father's rules aim at the heart. You see, when in, you enter the house and there's discord or strife or arguing, these are all external manifestations of a heart problem. And so these rules are meant to shape our hearts and direct them to be like God's heart. This is who the Father is. This is who Jesus is. This is what the Spirit delights in. And this is who we want to be and should want to be and should delight in. And we see the aim there in verse 9. Look at it with me. 
Do not be led, led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. You see, God wants to do good to your heart. That's why he's steering you away from all these worthless laws about what you should and shouldn't eat and back toward grace. His rules are, are serving sort of like the banks of a river. They keep the water channeled in the right direction, directing our love. The question is not whether we will love, but what will we love? Either we will direct our love toward our brothers, strangers, the persecuted, our spouses, or we will direct our love toward money and possessions. God's rules aim at the heart. That's why verse 1 begins with this house rule, let brotherly love continue. God's rules aim at the heart. This is why in verse 2 we read, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Literally it says, do not neglect to show love to the foreigner. Because God's rules aim at the heart. This is why in verse 3, he recalls to mind those who are easily forgotten. The imprisoned, the shut, and the persecuted. This is why in verse 4, he gives us instructions about marriage. His rules are aiming at the heart. And this is why in verse 5, we read, keep your life free of the love of money. This is the contrast that God's house rules are bringing out. It comes down to this. Will we love our brother or will we love money? And these rules help us discern our hearts because a life characterized by the love of money looks the exact opposite of a life characterized by a love of our brothers and sisters. You cannot love God and money. We know that. Jesus actually teaches that in his gospel. But you cannot love your brothers and money either. You will either love the one and hate the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. When it comes to holding on to your brothers and sisters or holding on to your worldly possessions and your money, which one would you choose if you had to make the choice? You have to open your arms to hug your brothers. The problem is when you open your arms, all those riches that you have clutched so closely fall to the ground. So often we treat money and material things as though they are eternal and unshakable and our brothers and sisters as though they are temporary and replaceable, which is the exact opposite of the truth. We love money and hate our brothers. We cling to material things and let go of things eternal. Friends, this should not be. God is aiming at our hearts. We talked about this this morning, but uh, it's an amazing mercy of God that not only does he give us these rules, but we can tell that he's aiming at our hearts in the fact that he even employs persuasion in order to win us over. He doesn't have to be reasonable with us. God is God. He can make a rule and say, follow it, and I'm not explaining why. <laughs> he has that right. But instead... He seeks to persuade us of the goodness of the things that he's calling us to. Indeed, he puts pastors, speakers of the word, in places of leadership to do this very thing, to sway your hearts over to be one to God and his word. That word there in verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, is actually this idea, it's, it's saying to, to the brothers and sisters in the church, be easily persuaded. Be easily won over. Have hearts that can be reasoned with. 
that are ready and willing and excited to receive God's word and his command and simply to obey it. The leaders in God's house shouldn't have to intimidate or extort or blackmail. They need only appeal to the heart because the hearts of God's people are so easily persuaded to obey their heavenly father. The leaders need only apply God's word and the hearts will respond. This is why these rules aim at the heart because the hearts of God's people already want to obey. Well, the Father makes the rules, not us. And he makes those rules for our good and he is aiming them at the heart. What we have to realize is that God is in the process of drawing our hearts out of this world and preparing them for the next. In the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews alludes to this. You can read about it in Leviticus 4. The practice was they would, when they were offering sin sacrifices, they would slaughter the animal in the house of God, they would sprinkle the blood, they would burn the fat portions on the altar, but then the rest of the carcass, the majority of the animal, was taken out the city gates and burned outside the city. Why did God make that rule? As always, he was aiming their hearts. He was showing them the true sacrifice was one day not going to happen in that temple in Jerusalem, but it was going to take place outside the city gates. The true sacrifice that would take away the sins of the world wasn't going to happen inside the city. It was going to happen outside of it on a Roman cross. Verse 12. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Jesus was crucified for our sins outside the city because he was aiming at our hearts even to his dying breath. He's telling us, you got to turn your back on this present city if you want to follow me. We have to go out of this world's gates and be willing to lay our, feet, our hearts at his feet. We have to be those that are willing to say, you can have all this world. Give me Jesus. We have to be willing to say this world is not my home. God's rules are meant to direct our hearts heavenward toward a city that we cannot see and yet we believe exists. That has been prepared for all who repent and believe in the crucified and risen Savior. Brothers and sisters, we have no lasting city here. We wait for one that's coming. But we can live together in the house of God even today. He makes the rules, he makes them for our good, and he is aiming at our hearts. Will you and I repent and believe today? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being so good. So good as to tell us what you want of us and not leave us to wander about wondering, how can I obey God? I pray, Lord, that all of your children here this morning would respond in simple willingness and obedience from the heart. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.